know, I don't normally sound like Madeline Stowe, but <laughs> in the first services I'm preaching, I'm just losing it, you know, losing my, my voice, my mind. It's like, it's like, it's just, I got sick all of a sudden. It was kind of crazy how it happened. And, um, and, and as we were worshiping Jesus right then, I got to thinking, you know what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. First Sunday coming out. I'm not, I don't feel the best I can feel. I don't feel the greatest I can feel. Thank you, Jesus, that our eyes should always be on him and not any man. Amen. Amen. Although I look good today. But, but keep our eyes on Jesus. That's what it's all about. You like that, Bradley, huh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. God's good. I tell you, I knew it was going to be a good day today in worship. I just knew God was going to show up in his presence in a mighty way today because yesterday the church literally caught fire. You think I'm joking? I'm not. I'm telling you the honest truth. The church caught fire. Yes, I should have brought some pictures, and I'm out here in the front. Um, I was doing some counseling, and as I left the counseling session, I drive down the drive. I look to the left, and I see a black sedan and, and smoke billowing from behind it, and I just drove by it because you don't, you're not prepared for that. You know, and then I almost got to the road, and I'm like, wait a second. That don't look right, and I thought somebody was, you know, smoking doobie or something in the corner of the par property. And um, that has happened before because we're a church for everyone. Amen? God will, let me shout, God will bring you out. Hallelujah. All right. And so I just didn't know if there was a party and I didn't get invited, but I wanted to find out. So I back up, and as I back up and I start to pull in, this guy's pulling out and he has his window down. And he's like, I've already called the fire department. Well, praise the Lord. Okay. I didn't realize that's what was going on. And so there was a fire. And what was neat was a family, the Daniel, um, 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 Jackson family and Karen and their little guy Dusty, they were driving by and they'd come here and they, they just looked over at their church and they saw the fire and they came up. They called the, the fire department and, um, and literally the, the, the front ties, the, the landscape ties were on fire and it was creeping up the, you can go out there and see where it was creeping up the wall. And, um, and then when it got to the building, I mean, thank God they came by, amen? And, um, and I told Pastor Stephanie, I said, you cannot throw out your cigarette butts like that anymore because <laughs> it will burn our church down. And no, I'm teasing. It was Pastor Corey. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, yesterday I just thought, man, this is going to be a good day. If the enemy's trying to burn our church down, we're going to have a good time in the house of the Lord today. And so um, as we look at this video, the greatest of all time, this series that we're going into the next few weeks, it's not about these people. It's not about them at all. It's about what God wants to do because he, Jesus, is the greatest of all time. And as we look at these lives, at times we'll give merit to them and credence to them and we'll elevate them to a place of prof you know, profoundness in our life. But the truth of the matter is Jesus is everything and Jesus has a plan and a purpose for each of us to find greatness in him and through him for our, our lives. And when you think of these people, people like Muhammad Ali, how he grew up, guys, men, come on, in the 70s. That was Muhammad Ali. I mean, I love me some, you know, sting like a butterfly, run like a, no, I forgot how you say it. That'll work. I'm telling you, you're going to have to help me preach today. My brain's not there. And so when it comes down to it, you know, Muhammad Ali, we loved him in the 70s. I'm evil Knievel. Oh my gosh. I know he just, for me, when I was a kid, he was everything. How many guys? Yeah, Rob, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I had the white bike, the red, white, and blue white bike from 1976 or seven. I think it was 77. And um, I brought that thing into my house, crossed the dining area, and down the hall to my bedroom. Mom and dad are sitting in the dining area. What? He's going to be great. That's not what they thought. <laughs> He's going to be in car. He, no, you can't. You, you can have evil. You, you had... You had 
Raggedy Ann. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm just kidding. Golly, this turned into a sexist thing off the bat. This is start of the year is not changed much from anything. <laughs> it's, about, <laughs> it's just crazy. No, but um, you got like people like Spielberg. You got people like Einstein. People like Michael Jordan, or nowadays LeBron, right? And there's still a debate. I know, I know, I know the rings. I get it. I get it. You know, you got people like from, from, I mean, serious, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, my gosh, greatest of all time when it came to those social things. You know, you got people maybe a little bit more humorous, but like Dr. Seuss, you know, maybe not as serious. I, I get that. But you tell Arden and Maverick Wiseman that Dr. Seuss is not the greatest of all time, and Arden will slice you, you know. <laughs> She's mean like that. Gets that from her mom. And she, but no, they love, they love some Dr. Some Dr. Seuss. But each of these people, they lived their lives in a way that were dedicated to their call. They were dedicated to their call. They were dedicated to the pursuit of their passion. And because of that, things great happened. It wasn't just accidental. It was a dedication to habit, a dedication to call, a dedication to passion. And their dedication determined not just the outcome of their life, but the dedication they had, it determined the way they were before they ever saw the fruit of their dedication. You know, They had this sense of dedication, but they didn't see the fruit of it. The sense of passion and determination in their daily habits that they hadn't seen the fruit yet, but man, they pressed in. And, and, and I just want to challenge us toward that in this coming year, that we need to live life now. And what I mean by that is not, hey, I want that great life. I want the greatest life of all. I want to be the greatest of all time in my life. I want to be the greatest of all time as a husband, greatest of all time as a, as a, as a, as a son or as a, as a, for me, a pastor, for whatever your, your area of ministry or life is. You want to do great in that. I get that. <coughs> but if we're always looking for life that's coming, but we don't choose to live differently today, then it's fabrication. It's never going to get there. Amen. These people that we saw on the screen and those people that you honor so often, you know, man, they had a lifestyle of dedication that preceded their success, preceded their, their win, preceded their accomplishment, and often by years and years and years. So it's not always about dreaming what life could be like. It's more about how do I choose to live life? Everybody shout right now. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at what that looks like, some characteristics that we should have in our life to be able to live that greatest of all time life that God wants for us right now. It's, it's not about waiting, but choosing to live life now in such a way that your life can be all that the greatest of all time desires it to be, because it's not about what you want or any of these people on the screen. It's the greatest of all time's desires. That's what we want to manifest in our life. Shout Jesus. Come on. It's, it's, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. He's the greatest of all time. It's his life. It's the pattern of how you look to see he lived that really, when it comes down to it, um, ought to affect our lives. That's what we should um, model. That's what we should embrace and pursue. And so this series is really going to focus in on, on some of those things. And, and I really believe the greatest of all time, Jesus, he wants you to have a great life, you know? And I don't want that to sound trite and trivial. I'm just being honest, you know? I'm not saying you won't go through some stuff. But I do believe he has a, a life for you that he wants to see blessed, you know. The word of God says this. I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's a good scripture, isn't it? 
How many of you know what? How many in this room has ever been broke? Anybody? Anybody? I'm truly broke. Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I know. Me too, I know. You know, I don't know about y'all. You have not walked into a prosperity gospel church. You haven't, okay? But I will tell you this. I like prosperity better than brokenness. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I do. And, and then the Bible says that he wishes for us to be prosperous, you know, and to be in health. And, and, but it says, even as your soul prospers. So that your mind, your will, emotions, there's something about who we are deep on the inside that needs to find some prosperity before we ever see prosperity on the outside, right? There's something that we need to learn to walk in, some elements that our soul needs to embrace, our mind, embrace, our, mind our will, and our emotions need to grab a hold of that will shape and change our life. And here in a moment, we'll see how Jesus, I believe, models all this for us time and time over this in our life. Again, and we need to be a people that over the next few weeks really get a hold of this in our lives. And if we're going to see greater things happen in our lives in 2018, then we're going to have to choose to live life differently. And so I don't want you to think, okay, this is just a, a sermon on um, New Year's resolutions. How many here, you just really stink at New Year's resolutions? Yes. Some are like, I read, made a resolution not to raise my hand ever again with Pastor. <laughs> and you succeeded. Good. You kept your hand right in your lap. I get it. No, no but I, I'm like, I'm not great at resolutions. I get that. I, I don't want these to be resolutions. <clears throat> I want these to be um, characteristics of my lifestyle the things we're going to look at today, that I can really look as a measuring point on how am I doing? <coughs> am I healthy when it comes to these four areas of my life? Jesus modeled it. Jesus, uh, rather, Heavenly Father, Jesus modeled it. Heavenly Father gave it to us as a gift, these four things. What does it look like? And how is the enemy trying to hinder those things? And what can I do to embrace these things at a higher level? And, and, and something the Lord really laid in my heart was this, that 2017, I came to the pulpit that first Sunday like this last year, and I said, this is going to be the year of... Man, you guys are good rememberers. You listen well. This is going to be the year of acceleration. And guess what? 2017 was. There was so much advancement, kingdom advancement, financial advancement. Just my daughter started dating somebody finally. I mean, just a year. Oh, I've been waiting to use that. I, they're almost to the six-month mark. I thought I, I didn't make it. I was going to say, Ross, don't joke with them until six months. You'll run the boy off. Almost made it. Welcome to the family. Okay, so. <laughs> year of acceleration. That was funny right there. So long story short, I told you it's going to be a year of acceleration, and I believe it has been. But here's the thing about it. I feel like God's grace brings that acceleration. It just does. It wasn't like a year where God's like, hey, if you'll do this and you'll do that and you'll do this and you'll do that, then I'll bring acceleration. It was just, no, I'm speaking over the house prophetically. This is a year of acceleration. And we saw it. And about a month and a half, two months ago, I began to pray, Lord, what, what, what's our focus this year? What are you going to draw us into as a church this year? And the Lord laid in my heart the word, one word, deeper. Deeper. Everybody say deeper. 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 And the more, as it got closer and closer to today, as I think about that idea of deeper, <coughs> I feel like God's saying to us as a house that, hey, my grace is there to bring acceleration, but now honor the grace that I brought to you by being determined and disciplined to go deeper. Does that make sense? So God has fruit for us as a house this year, as a church this year, as individuals in this home, this, this, this home of faith this year. But I believe that fruit's going to be meted out through a disciplined lifestyle. Grace. I believe God in this year is saying, hey, I've given you this acceleration. I've brought my grace. Now honor it and go deeper. Deeper in what? Deeper in his word. 
deeper in the things of the Holy Spirit and deeper in our commitments. And I'm going to preach about this on Wednesday the 31st. We're doing a worship and vision night. I'm going to preach about these three elements that night. But deeper in the word, shout the word. word. Deeper in the Holy Spirit, shout spirit. spirit. And deeper when it comes to our commitments, just in general, our commitment. I think the modern church at times, we have a lot of feeling but we lose out on commitments, deep-rooted disciplines of the faith. And so this year, we're going to be going into that a lot this year. And I don't like it. I'll just be honest. I don't, well, I don't like it. God, I just want you to just give me what I want. What I really, really want. You know what I mean? Just please. But I feel like God's saying, I want to give you maturity. Hold on, for you. No, I want to give you maturity. I want to give you spiritual maturity. I want to give you uh, this idea of prospering in physical health and spiritual health even as your soul prospers. And so next week we're going to look about this idea of maturity. It's going to be a really, really great Sunday next week. But, But when it comes down to it, just embrace your heart around the idea that it's a year. Yes, I don't want to look at just as resolutions, but a year of discipline, a year of discipleship, a year of going, God, I am going deeper in the name of of Jesus. Amen? And we'll make changes in order for that to happen, making changes this year. And and I'll be honest, going into the new year, how many has a resolution? Anyone? Anyone? I got, I I have my biggest resolution this year. I just decided I am not going to wake up grumpy anymore in this coming year, period. Amen? I am not going to wake up grumpy. I'm going to let that girl sleep in as long as she wants. That was funny right there. I don't care who you are. That was funny. (laughs) Oh, man. No, really, every one of us has resolutions in here, and we're going to look to do life differently. Amen? Here in a couple of minutes, we're going to get to the word. You're going to go, Pastor, are we going to get to any word? I'm going to choke you with the word. Amen? Here in a couple of minutes, I'm going to choke you with the word. All right? But listen, when it comes to Aristotle, he said it this way, we are what we repeatedly do. That's what he said. We're what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act. But a habit. God has something. He wants you to prosper and be in health. But that excellence comes not as an act, but a shout habit. (coughs) And it's those daily decisions that determine your destiny. It's those daily decisions that will determine whether or not you will walk out the greatest of all time life that God has for you. Amen? And I'm so proud. One last thing before we get to the word. I'm so proud of Pastor Brantley. Pastor Brantley, he, yeah, 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 yeah. He came to me on September, um, early part of September, and, and I think he posted about it on September 6th. He said, Pastor Ross, I'm going to write a book. And I was like, come on, that's awesome. And he posted, I'm going to have it written by Thanksgiving. This was his plan, a 30-day devotional. And here's what happened. 72 days later, the week before Thanksgiving, he finished his book, his 30-day devotional, He was able to do a chapter about every day, every other day or so, as it worked out to be those 72 days. And I am holding in my hand today. Isn't that awesome? This is Courage to Speak, a 30-day devotional by Brantley Johnson. He made an acknowledgement in here. He said, I just owe all of everything I ever could have ever accomplished to my pastor, Ross Wiseman. No, he didn't say that. No, but, but this is awesome, amen? Give God some praise for Pastor Brantley. How did this book get written? A little bit every, every, every day. 
It's a little bit every day. For 72 days, just a little bit every day. And next thing you know, you have this wonderful gift to the body of Christ. And it's his inaugural work. And I am sure that it's just one of many, 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 many. It's going to make differences in people's lives around the world someday. Amen? And so that's um, not available just yet. There are a couple weeks out from him being able to let you guys buy it. But pretty awesome, pretty amazing stuff right there. So I just want to mention that. But it's along the idea of this, that daily choice, those daily decisions. And we'll get more into that as we teach today. And so often when we jump into the new year and we start to look at doing things differently, we get our eyes and our focus more on our resolutions than our faith in Jesus. We get our eyes on what we're going to do differently. And I just want today as we start to put Jesus right in the center of all this. Why? Because he was the son of God? Yes. But I want to put him in the center of our conversation because he was one that was, the Bible says, like us in all ways, yet without sin. Of his, yes, he was deity, but he chose when he came here to divest himself of his royalty and put upon himself humanity to the degree that he could have sinned, yet he was without sin. So in other words, he lived his life in such a way that he walked in God's best, even though sin was at the door trying to rob from him. God's best. And if that's the case with him, if he can be an example to us of how we can live and the things that we can embrace that really make our lives full, then I believe that's what we should do is embrace that example. Amen? And let sin be a liar. Let sin find its way to hell. Amen? And not rule and reign over our lives anymore. And so Jesus truly is the greatest of all time. And so we're going to discover a little bit about, about him and, and such. And um, this is the beginning of the year. It's the start of the year. And so as we look at the start of the year, any kind of beginnings, I want to think about Jesus' life and his ministry when it came to the beginning of his ministry. In Matthew 3, 17, we see the beginning of his ministry start. He comes up out of the baptismal waters, and this is what was beautiful. Listen, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Ah, that's rich. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Everything that we do in life stems out of the love of God. Everything stems out of the love of God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know what's beautiful about this when it comes to Jesus? Jesus had not yet walked on water. Jesus had not yet opened a blind eye. Jesus had not yet opened a dumb tongue. Jesus had not yet love someone into the kingdom that everybody else had, had rebuked. Amen? There was nothing that earned the merit of this love except the fact that he was the beloved son of God. And guess who else is God's sons? Amen? I'm looking at a whole room full of God's sons and daughters. And so it starts with the beginning. It starts with <coughs> the love of God. And we see here in Matthew 3.17, the love of God upon Jesus. Well, what happens with that? God begins to do ministry in his life. And his ministry starts to take place in his life. In Mark 1, 28 through 34, it says, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon, that's another name for Peter. So it's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they go into this house. And what I can see from this picture here is the idea that Jesus didn't do life alone. He wasn't a lone ranger. Amen? He needed some chemosabis. Well, he was the chemosabi. He needed some tantos in his life, you know? He wasn't doing it alone. He's not a lone ranger. He, he needs others in his home. 
We've got to go through life together. And we see here with Jesus, he had James, Peter, James, and John, and, 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 and Andrew. And the thing about it, you'll see that he had the multitudes. You'll see that he had a, a bunch of disciples. Then you'll see he had 12 disciples. But then it comes down to these three, James, Peter, and John, and, and, and Andrew, this other one that jumps in. Those guys were the guys that were just with him in every turn. He didn't do life alone. So we can see in Mark 1, 29, the importance of relationships. When they left that moment, this is all from the same scripture. We're reading all the way down to verse, I believe, about 35 or 6 on here. But when he left that moment, he goes in with Peter and those fellows into Peter's mother-in-law's house. And she was sick. And he likes his mother-in-law more than I like mine. No, I love my mother-in-law. And so Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And Jesus came. He took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Watch this, verse 32. (coughs) That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. How many? That's a lot. To the degree, it says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We see here this whole city at the door healing and doing all this. What was that? That That was work. That was the work of the Lord, but it was work nonetheless. It was laborsome nonetheless. And I think there's a key in this, that the whole city was at the door. Doesn't it feel that way when it comes to your work? Like, everything is demanding. Like, how in the world can I live balanced when I have all this stuff at the door? Yesterday was Amy's birthday, and she left early and went to breakfast, and then went and got her hair did, and then she went and hung out with the girls. And and so I had the little ones just about the whole day, and Arden had diarrhea. (laughs) I'm telling you right now, the whole city was at the door. That's all I'm saying. All day long. It was, it was crazy just trying to keep up with that little girl and her mess. And it just was not the typical day. You know what I mean? But that's how it is for all of us. If we're, it's just every day work is always there. That's why for me when it comes to this pattern, I'll put work always over here in the bottom right quadrant. Because work's going to get filled up fast. And if I put it in the top left quadrant, guess what will happen? It will take up everything. And so we can see here that Jesus had a life that was balanced. He did work. He had relationships. Let's go down to Mark 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And so we have prayer, and we have rest. He went to a desolate place. That place of rest, that place where all those people that were at the door were not at, and he found himself in connection with God. Amen? Isn't that good? And so we can see in this one story, and I'm going to tell you right now, you go to story after story after story of Jesus' life, and you're going to see him working, connected to relationships, finding his rest in prayer. You're going to see it over and over again. And over again. And I would venture to say that he was one that had this in such perfect balance. No wonder he was without sin. No wonder the enemy of his heart could not best him. The enemy of his heart couldn't steal and rob from him and take away God's best intentions from him because he was in such, such balance. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about that. And and, and, and so 
We have rest. Yeah, we have everything up there. And so when it comes down to it, watch what it says in Mark 1, verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. You know, he's there finding his rest in that desolate place. And they found him, and they said, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's, I pulled away from this situation, everybody at the door, and I went and filled up, got my rest, got my time with the Lord, and I'm ready to work again. Let's go. Let's go do what God has called us to do. Amen? But you can see a very purposefulness in Jesus' lifestyle. It wasn't that the life was just getting handed to him. No, he's taking control of life. And I believe we can do the same if we will embrace a rule of life. If we'll embrace, does everybody have that sheet of paper, if you would, pull that out? <coughs> the rule of life. And so with this, over the next few weeks, I'm not going to just preach this you know, this week's on this and next week's on that and so on. It's, it's going to kind of be holistic in all these things. I think it's important to look at it that way. I'll, I'll give you an example why. We put the idea of the love of God in the center. Do you know why? Because at Momentum Church, we don't believe that God should be first in your life. I love it. One of my, my favorite new guests that was here today, she just smiled at me like, what? I'm never coming back. No, no, I, I really don't. I don't believe Jesus should be first because if he's first in my life, then I can check him off the list today because I showed up in the house of God on a Sunday morning and I got my checklist done. I got God taken care of. It's Sunday morning, first in my life. He's taken care of. And now the rest of the week, I get to live for me. So we don't believe he should be first in our lives. We believe he should be at the center of our lives. Amen? And so the love of God's always the beginning spot, everything, in every area of our lives. So if he's at the center of my life, the love of God affects my work, the love of God affects my, my rest, the love of God affects my prayer, the love of God affects my relationships, amen? You see how that works? So it's not, I just get to check them off, and I've done good by God, now I can go on to my family. Oh, I've done good by my family. No, God is at the center of all of those things. And guess what that means? It means that he refuses to be checked off is what it means. It means that you'll have this lifestyle that forces itself into communication with the Father. Because you're not checking it off. You're constantly engaging him. Oh, my gosh, that's called a relationship, right? That's why it's not a religion. It's a relationship. Amy, think how she feels if I just check her off. Well, I did that. Now I can just dismiss her for the rest of the week. No, no. I, I, she, uh, we talk in our family um, with Amy, I call it the first 15 minutes. And so the idea of the first 15 minutes when I wake up in the morning, I try to focus on her. First 15 minutes when I come through the door, I try to focus on her. And the last 15 minutes, once Arden and Maverick go to bed, try to focus on her. Now, obviously, those 15 minutes sometimes turns into hours, and we're hanging out and, and, and watching a movie together or doing um, needlepoint. You ain't got no, you, ain't, you don't have no business knowing what we're doing. You. No, I'm kidding. But when it comes down, <coughs> excuse me, when it comes down to it, it's, it's the idea, Amy, you're valuable to me now and now and now and now and now and now, like all the time. I'm, I'm wanting her to know there's that significance that we're not just doing life in the house and you got your agenda and I got my agenda. And that's very natural. It's very easy to do. But it's that way with spiritual things, too. I've checked off my thing with God, and I go about my business. No, God wants us to be that constantly engaged with him. And so we see here that it comes down to that first thing, that, 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 that love of God. And it was the same way when God created Adam and Eve. You've got to remember, Jesus is called the second Adam for a reason. 
Because the first Adam, of which we are offsprings of, we have the opportunity as the first Adam to walk in God's best, but we blew it because of sin. Jesus comes along as the second Adam, and he restores it and gives us an opportunity through righteous relationship with God to be restored to the best that God intended for us. Ergo, the, 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 the thing I said at the beginning of the, of the talk with the idea of he wishes above all things for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God has that intention of the garden. God has all this for you. Go partake. Enjoy it. You know, but the enemy would love to rob us. So let's go back first to the blessings that we see. So with Adam and Eve, just like the beginning, remember the beginning? Guess what? Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, what? That's where it starts. Why? He's at the beginning of everything, the center of it all. God, God, this book, I hate to tell you this, it's not about you. Wow. This is about God. And his love for us, and this invitation to come into this love story, this invitation to come into God's best, but it's, it's Jesus-centric, not man-centric. It's God-centric. And, and God invites us into this amazing walk with him that we can see his best. And it starts off with him at the center, the love of God, in the beginning, God. Then we can see that in Genesis 3, verse 8, and they heard the sound of God, this is Adam and Eve, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what's so sad is, is that man and his wife, they hid themselves. But the thing is, it was a common practice for Adam and Eve to hear the voice of God coming in the cool of the evening. That's why when they heard it this time and they had fallen into sin, they ran from it. But it was a common practice to have what? Fellowship. We call, I'm calling it prayer, but this idea of connection with God. That's why God created man, was to have this divine connection with man, this divine, wonderful, powerful, amazing relationship with man. And so we can see here prayer was a part of the early, uh, our, our, our early um, um, forefathers, if you will, Adam and Eve, all right? When it comes down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, we see the quadrant of work. It says, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Work is not bad. Work is not a curse. It says to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, you shall surely eat. Say, surely eat. Of every tree of this garden. And then obviously gave the caveat, but of that one tree, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shouldn't eat. And in the day that you eat that, you're going to die. You know, but... He places them in the garden, says, work, tend it, and guess what? You're going to walk in fruitfulness. You're going to have your supply. You shall, everybody shout again, surely eat. surely eat. Yeah, God wants us to be blessed in all that he has. He wants us to surely partake of our labors, and that's a powerful thing. But what can happen if we're not careful is we put so much focus on work that our focus gets off relationships, off prayer, and off rest, and next thing you know, things start to be robbed in our life. Let's go on down to relationships. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the blessing, the gift. It said, then the Lord said to, to Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper that is fit for him. Is that good? Pastor Mar, I tell you, I'm just, he's over there, hello. Well, you really say hello now. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hallelujah. So a woman fit for him that, that there would not be any kind of shame or anything that's undone their lives that would cause them to feel insignificant or lack in each other's presence, <coughs> you know? That, that would, in a sense, cause them, if they had electricity at the time, to keep the lights on. You know what I'm saying? Just that idea. They had no shame. 
It's amazing. And that was God's intention. What is that, though? That's a relationship. Adam could have named all those animals himself. Adam could have tended that garden on his own. You know, just God and Adam. It's crazy when you think about it, that God in this moment said, I'm not enough for you. Is God enough? Yes. But in his sovereign wisdom, I'm not enough for you. I'm going to make you a help meet. Now listen, woman. Listen, man. When you think about your spouse, think about that. Does that make sense that that's such a gift to you? Good night. If God himself says, I'm not enough, and I'm going to give you this one, and you're going to treat that gift with despising type actions and attitudes, what's wrong with you? That's good preaching. Place got really quiet. <laughs> you're not coming back. But just think about that. I never even thought of that until right there in that moment. Oh, my word. No wonder God wants us to honor our spouses. That's the best gift he could give to us because he's saying, I'm not enough for you. I want you to have somebody. I'm going to give you this. Treat that gift right. Look to your neighbor. If that's your spouse, say, treat that gift right. And then the Mormon church, you'd say, look to the other neighbor and say, no. <laughs> that was wrong, Nick. That was wrong. You shouldn't say that. That was wrong. All right. So, <laughs> excuse me. So, <laughs> when it comes down to it, the final thing with this gift from God when it comes to humanity is the idea of, of, of rest. Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And we can see through scripture the further gone-going revelation of the idea of rest or Sabbath, that it becomes not just a gift for God. And so this was all given to the first Adam. This was all given that they might have this great life, greatest lives of all time. They could have this. But they chose to throw it away and make decisions and choices based on sin, and they lost God's best. And in losing God's best, here's some things that happened. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, in the area of relationships, it says, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. He comes against the woman because God's calling him on the carpet, and he's upset with the woman. He's coming to get, she's taken from me. This woman that's supposed to be helping me, you gave me, and she's done this. Not looking at his own responsibility, but already relationships are becoming strained. And you know the story of our early forefathers. It wasn't too long before Cain was killing Abel, you know. Relationships became strained because of sin. When it comes to work, Genesis 3, verse 17 through 19, work becomes strained. Listen, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Not that, that, that you're not, now you're going to work and receive fruit, but it's going to be more laborsome than ever more toilsome than ever. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What does that mean, that last little part? It means you're going to work until you die. <laughs> That's really what it means, because it's right there in the context of work. You're going to do this until you get to be dust again. You're going to work. You're going to feel like you've got to provide for yourself forever. You're going to feel like you've got to make it happen, make the ends meet, get the job done until you become dirt again, you know? And what that does is this, that robs rest. Because if I feel like I can never shut it down, the city is always at the door. There's always something that has to be done. 
I can't rest. I've got to toil. I've got to work. I've got to labor. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. Then what happens is I never Sabbath, and neither do you. You never find your rest. Does that make sense? And the enemy begins to win because you lose your rest, and now you're irritable. And next thing you know, your relationships are starting to be strained, you know. Now you get mad because God's not providing. What's wrong with God? Because my spousal relationship is going bad. And so I start to feel a distance from God, and now my prayer starts to get my connection with God starts to feel like it's getting robbed and stolen from. You see what I mean? And truth of the matter is I could start with any one of these. And if it gets out of balance with the love of God, with the thing in the center, it's not long before it all starts to affect each other. Amen? And so that idea of rest, man, we need that. And then the final thing, that idea of prayer. Watch this saddest verse I've ever heard in Scripture. And, I, and if you've been in this church for you know, 12, 13 years with us, you've heard me say this before as far as this is the saddest verse. It says in Genesis 3.10, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Isn't that sad? I heard you come for fellowship, God, and I was afraid and I ran from you. I heard that you wanted connection, Lord, but I was so undone. At one point, I was naked and I wasn't ashamed, but now I'm so undone. I feel so unworthy. I have to run from you, the one that literally can heal my heart, the one that can make it all right, but I've got to run from you. And here's what I think is so neat about, about God. God comes and says, well, who told you that you were naked? Who's been lying to you, telling you you don't deserve God? Who's been lying to you, telling you that that connection is something that you can't anticipate or expect because something you've done in your past? Who's been lying to you, straining that relationship you have with, with Jesus? Through prayer, through connection, through devotion, through reading the Word, that kind of open the Bible and just feel almost too dirty to even read it and put it aside. Come to church and just almost feel like, man, this is for everybody else, but this isn't for me. Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Who lied to you? And then he says, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Did you, did you go away from my best, my plan, exactly what I told you would bring satisfaction, that we give you the greatest life of all, the greatest life of all time? Did you go away from that? Listen, listen to this. What you let rule over your mind will eventually rule over your life. This, this statement, who told you you were naked? If you'll, we're going to go back next week and we're going to see some of the lies that was taking place that was robbing them. Um, it, it, it was just, did God say this? Did God say this? Because if you eat this, this is going to happen. It's going to be good. Who told you? Who's lied to you through all this? You know? And the truth of the matter is we start to tell ourselves. We start to tell ourselves that we are undone, that we are naked. And what you let rule over your mind eventually rules over your life. When life isn't placed under the authority of God, then life eventually fails to be experienced as God intends. And there is a pattern that is the governance of God for our lives. And I believe that part of that is these four things. I think when you look early on and you look at Jesus, the second Adam, because he gives us a chance to walk back to Eden, if you will, back to God's best intentions. If you look at those, you'll see over and over and over prayer and relationship and rest and work, those main things in our life. And what does that look like to do all those things for the glory of the Lord, for the, the love of God? What does that, that look like? And here's the thing. So often though, what happens is life gets out of balance and things aren't representing the God, the God's best and we start to blame God, Right? Or blame others. But a lot of times we blame God. 
Too often it's, it's the Lord who gets blamed, you know. I can't believe God is doing this to me. I can't believe God's letting my marriage fall apart. When's the last time you courted your wife? Adelaide jokes with me. She thinks I'm funny because I use old words. When the two started dating, you know, I was like, so is your suitor coming? <laughs> Dad, well, he's your suitor. Well, he's not your boy, beau yet. Is he your beau? You're not. No, it's not. I'll tell you, it didn't take long. He went from suitor to beau quick. <laughs> it was funny. I shouldn't tell this. It's funny. I'm not sure why I'm telling it, but I'm going to. He comes and asks me, he said, I'd like to take your daughter out on her first date. All right, you got my permission. And um, they go out on their first date. Next week he comes, I'd like to see about going steady. I don't think that was the word he used. I don't know what they use, the words they use now. But he was going from suitor to bow is what I'm saying. And so I'd like to know if, if it would be okay to ask her to go steady. Well, that was the second week. I said, and they've known each other about six months at this point, but second week of dating. And I said, listen, boy, I said, that's two questions in two weeks. I don't want a third question for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> true. <coughs> I still don't want that third question for a while. All right, so when it comes down to it, <laughs> um, you know, it's like you haven't courted. You haven't dated. You haven't spent that time. You haven't lived that balanced life. You haven't honored God by honoring your spouse. And now you're wondering, wondering why, and you blame God? God let this happen? I, I just, I feel like 2018 needs to be a year, like I said, of deeper, deeper work, deeper spirit, deeper commitments. And in that, it's a sense of responsibility. I'm not blaming nobody else. Amen? I'm going to look at my life, and I'm going to go, it's jacked up because I'm jacked up. But God's given me a way out. Amen? And I'm going to refuse to just say it's okay. It's all right, it's messed up. God loves me anyhow. Yes, he does, but he loves you enough not to leave you there, and he has shown a way of escape. And this year, I want to see us. And here's the cool thing. Check this out. Because there's some new folks, or there's some folks who have been here for a while, you're still struggling big time, and you may say, man, I'm not there yet. That's all right. That's why we're a family. Because the days that you're going, I can't, we're going to say, come on, we got you. You know, we're going to help you. We're going to be there with you through it, you know. So when it comes down to it, let's not blame God. Let's just look at Jesus as the model and realize that we're missing it. And how can we live up to the model, the rule of life that Jesus has? Jesus didn't let his flesh rule his life, but he lived life out of the order or the rule of God. I'm calling this my rule of life, all right? A habit or a rule. Either way, you want them. And this isn't original to me. I take in our church as far as these four. It's not original to the man, Peter Scazzaro, that wrote the book, The Emotional Healthy Leader, that I took my staff through since summer through the fall. It's not original to him either. These four principles we can see in Scripture, but it was the Benedictine order of monks that years ago decided that these are the four spiritual life practices that you need in order to have loving union with God. If we're going to have God at the center of our life, we need to have God in our relationships, God in our rest, God in our work. God in our prayer life, that devotional life, we need to. And what does that look like? And literally, they created this idea of a rule of life. And I challenged my staff, just as I'm challenging you, to begin over the next few weeks to create your own rule of life. Why? Aristotle, again, he said, we are what we repeatedly do. God wants excellence in your life. Amen? He wants to bring a quality of living to you that only he can bring, but he'll do it through your habits. Now, here's the thing. Desires create habits. I get that. And so there's a shifting of desires. That's going to take some time. Man, I think that's why in the next few weeks we're going to be doing fasting. I'll tell you about that in a second. It's a shifting of desires that changes our habits so that we can see a shifting of our life. Amen? 
And so when it comes down to it, uh, what we are re- repeatedly do, excellence, therefore, is not an act, but it's a habit. And God wants us to possess a rule of life. Check this out. I love this. I'm going to talk about this more next week. He wants us to possess a rule of life so that we might be able to reign in life. In other words, have authority in life. Not let life run us, but us run life. And so with this, over the next few weeks, we're going to encourage you to take some time with the Lord and ask God to show you, what are some things in the devotional life, that prayer life, what should I be doing daily in connection with God devotionally? You know, and you may go, hey, I'm going to do the, the one year, in the, the Bible in one year thing. You know, it's a, it's a psalm, it's a proverb, it's, it's Old Testament, New Testament. I'm going to knock that out every day, you know. It takes about 12 minutes to do. And some of you are going, hey, no way I'm going to do that. I get it, you know. You might be going, I'm going to do Proverbs. I'm going to read one Proverbs a day. You know, I don't, if you read three verses a day and let God speak to you from it, I'm going to be really happy <laughs> if that's three verses more than you read yesterday. You know what I mean? But something, some sort of a, a plan. So what we're going to do is starting not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, that Monday, the 5th. I think that's the 5th, right? No. no, it's 15th. I told you I'm sick. The 15th, we're going to be starting our three-week fast. What a great time to allow our minds just to get on God and God speak to us. What should work look like in my life? What should rest look like in my life? What should, what should this prayer and devotional life look like in my life? What should relationships? Well, I was going through this this fall for myself because a lot of times I'll preach things that I'm coming through already, and then I try to preach it to us. When I was coming through this, and it is literally, this, this whole rule of life has changed my whole life. As I was coming through this, the Lord laid in my heart that I've robbed from my nephews. And that may not sound like a big deal to you, you know, um, but I just realized that that when I was young in the church in Ohio, I never saw a ball game of my nephews. I was focused on the church, focused on my family, but like my two nephews just, just wasn't in their lives much at all. And, um, and now they're both in ministry. And the week that, literally the week the Lord laid out in my heart, you need to be more involved in Brian and Austin's lives. Brian calls me and he says, hey, Chunkle Ross. Yes, he calls me Chunkle Ross. <laughs> hey, Chunkle, he said, it's funny, but it hurts. He says, he goes, I need you in my life. I need, can you be a mentor to me? Just a couple times a month, let's just talk on the phone. I just want to bounce family, bounce ministry, bounce things off you. Is that cool? That's not an accident. That God lays in my heart this conviction that I've messed up with my nephews, you know. And I know it's just nephew. I get that. But I just have a sister. We don't have a big family, you know. And so with that, I just felt that. And then within days, I get a call from my nephew, you know. Don't you know the last few months have been rich as I've been able to talk with my nephews and just so and it'll end on the 4th of February, and um, we're going to end with communion that Sunday morning. But during that fasting time, I believe God's going to speak to you guys and help you create your rule of life. Amen? And we're going to help you with some other resources between now and then. Um, but, but, but definitely, please, just keep this in your Bible. As God starts to speak to your heart about these categories, just start writing things down. And, and I'm going to share some of mine with you, with you as well, okay, just so that you can kind of see how I'm doing this or how, how I've been doing this the last couple months as I've been practicing this. Um, and then on Wednesday the 31st, that night, kind of toward the middle to end of this, this um, um, season of fasting, we're going to have a vision and worship night. And so come back that night. Normally on our worship and prayer nights, it's just worship and prayer. But I really feel like I, I need to bring a word that night, a short word. And so it's going to be worship and prayer and looking at vision. We've talked about the building. How many know that building is not vision? Amen? I'm just telling you, that building's a box. 
And so what is vision? What's it look like to go deeper? What's that look like as a church for us in the coming year? Deeper in the Word, deeper in the Holy Spirit, and deeper in our commitments. What's that look like? And so we'll be talking about vision that night. And so we want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. I believe God has some great things in store for us. Um, I believe he has great things in store for you individually as well. And I think this year it's going to come from us being disciplined. I'm sorry. I wish I could give you a drink and just drink it now. You're super Christian, you know. You know? Or a drink and next thing you know you're as felt as me. I, I just wish. But I can't. And I feel like it's okay. I feel like God's just telling us, man, I know that you can do this. I know I have a plan for you and a purpose for you as a body to be a great, great group of people that honor me, that people see Jesus in you, Jesus in your family, Jesus in your decisions, Jesus in your finances, Jesus at work, and so on. But it's going to take that discipline. Amen? And I think you have what it takes for that to happen. And so um, if you would, please keep these close. As the Lord lays things on your heart, write them down. One final thing for next week, and we're going to close in prayer. Um, people have asked me about our building project, wanting to know how much has come in. And we're going to do one more week, just because I've had people say, hey, we got our end-of-the-year bonus, and everything's processed through the checks now. I'm ready to give. And so next Sunday is the last, not the last Sunday. I'd tell you right now, it ain't the last Sunday you can give, because we'll let you give any time. But it's the last Sunday before we're going to announce the totals, okay? So next Sunday, bring in that gift if you haven't yet and that pledge card for that monthly giving for the new building. And then what we'll do is on Monday, the first day of the fast, through our social media um, outlets, we will let you know what those totals are. Amen? Amen? Amen. God is good. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your quickening today. I thank you personally for your strength. Um, just in my little physical body, God, I praise you for that right now, Lord, that we were able to come through this word just kind of feeling a little cloudy in my, 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 my health. And you're so good. This was too good of a word for you, Lord God, not to allow us to have. And I want to thank you for that, Jesus. And Lord God, as, as our family goes forward in this, as we prepare our hearts this week to fast next week, next Monday, Lord God, would you just show us what you want from us in that fast? For some, Lord God, it might be a, a, a vegetable-type fast, or it might just be one meal a day. For others, it may look uh, all sorts of ways. But God, help us. Just speak to our hearts this week on what you want us to do. So that us together, Lord, as our heart, as our stomach's pain, we will know that we are, as a body, putting you first and foremost at the start of the year, wanting your best to manifest in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are the greatest of all time. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've invited us into a life that honors you. The Lord God is prosperous and healthy as our soul prospers. We commit our hearts to soul prosperity in this year. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.